During the Advent season, it was interesting. We began each service with a, a very haunting song. We are waiting. We are waiting. We heard a cantor and then the choir respond. We are waiting. They were um, the words that hung in the air every single uh, Advent Sunday. It wasn't an impatient complaining like, I'm waiting, but it was more of a descriptive hopefulness of something that was going to happen, of something that was coming. But in reality, I have to admit that in the 21st century, we've lost a sense of waiting as a time for seasoning or ripening or preparation. We're very impatient. Quite honestly, we don't like to wait. According to MIT research, this is what they have to say. The dominant cost of waiting is an emotional one. Stress, boredom, that knacking sensation that one's life is actually slipping away. In Boca Raton, Florida, at a local upmarket, in which shoppers pay an additional fee for shorter waits, furious shoppers have demanded an explanation as to why they had to wait four minutes in line. Shoppers described their experience as absolutely horrific. And as ridiculous as that sounds, perhaps we're not so far removed. After all, I'm, I hope I'm not the only one because that would make me quite ashamed of myself. But we are people who, who pay for Prime on Amazon to get delivery in 24 hours of things we put off buying in a timely manner. We zap food in the microwave and we eat in minutes. We expect a free pizza if it's not made, boxed, and delivered in 30 minutes. And we come to expect life's most complex questions to be answered in an hour's program on television. So then how are we supposed to reach into our text today and somehow have an empathy and a lesson and be able to celebrate with those who had waited literally their entire lives for God to deliver on a promise made. Well, perhaps we won't be able to relate immediately to something that we wait our entire lives for, but perhaps we can learn something about the quality of waiting. So our scripture today is Luke 2, 25 through 40. Jesus is presented in the temple. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. 
Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon them. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm not sure how much we can identify with waiting for 85 or 90 years for God's promises to be kept. Perhaps we can be better at recognizing when God keeps God's promises. Perhaps we can hone our skill at recognizing God, at seeing God's hand in the lives of those around us and in our own lives in the immediacy. But in this text, it's revealed to us that both Anna and Simeon were committed to God. They devoted their lives to spiritual practices that allowed them to listen and to recognize God. After all, that's really what spiritual practices are all about. They're not to make you a better Christian. They're to help you to be a better receptor, to be able to receive and recognize when God is at hand, when God is doing God's thing in your life, to be able to recognize those things and then to access them and to celebrate them. We don't really know any backstory about Simeon except that he was a devout Jew. Anna, we are told, was married for only seven years when her husband died. That would have made her probably about 21 years old when her husband died. In the culture at that time, Young girls were married at 13 or 14 years old at the time when they could conceive. And so the scripture is very pointed about letting us know that she lived until about 85 or 86 years old, unmarried for most of that time, devoting herself only to praising God and fasting and praying in the temple. So what they're really trying to say is that those two people had a focus, a focus on listening and paying attention for God. And I have no doubt that in those years, it was not as though they didn't see God or experience God until that final moment. But because they were so focused, they were able to experience God at a deeper level every time they turned around. And so they were well equipped to recognize God when, he, when God was brought into the temple as an infant. They had lived their whole lives listening, paying attention, and growing. 
They listened and they followed. It doesn't share with us the in-between restlessness about when God was going to deliver. Perhaps they had those experiences, but the scripture doesn't share that with us. But what my experience of so often in our restless age and in our hurried lives, what I've experienced is that we easily evolve from when to will. From when will God deliver to, well, will God even deliver? Because God is not delivering immediately. Anna and Simeon didn't seem to suffer from a modern disease. A modern disease that sometimes questions God of, is God wasting my time? Am I wasting my time on this prayer, on this dream? After all, I've been praying for it for a couple of years now. God hasn't done anything about what I've been praying for. Why doesn't God do as I've instructed? When is God going to deliver? Why hasn't God shown up? And then ultimately, of course, we may not speak this in our mind, but in our actions. I guess I'm going to need to take over since God is absent from the scene. We are waiting also, but I don't think we're waiting very well at times because of all the pressures and the hurried ups that we have incorporated into our culture. So, so am I asking us to throw away all of that we've been cultured into? No. I'm not going to go home and load my microwave up into my car and take it off. I'm probably still going to rush down to see my grandkids as much as I can, but how am I going to make space, white space, where there are no hurries and rushing to listen, to pay attention, to be accessible to the Spirit of God as God speaks to me? In the sacred space of the Jerusalem temple, there is a man and a woman that step forward. They're there to aid Luke's readers in making sense of these remarkable events that are unfolding in the narrative of Jesus' early childhood. As Simeon takes the Christ child into his aging arms and as Anna witnesses the scene, they believe that this is, this is the promise that God had made to them to the world. They believe that they are involved in the consummation of all that God had promised in ancient history, in all that God had promised through all the prophecies, in all that God had promised for the forevers in the world. Simeon, who has been watching for the consolation of Israel, can now say, Master, now you can let me die because I have seen your salvation. It's almost as though he's saying, I was hanging on because I knew, I knew that you would keep your promise no matter how long it took. And Anna, after giving thanks, can run off to tell those who have been looking for the redemption of, the, of Jerusalem, it's here, it's here. And don't you know that when she went out to share that news, there were some that celebrated and there were some that said, so what? Some that didn't even remember 
that they had been promised a redeemer. And yet the consummation in this case is a beginning more than an end. Perhaps it's the end for Simeon and for Anna. Perhaps it's the fulfillment. And they can accept that God is now in the world at work and the plan is in motion. But this is really the beginning for the rest of the world. We see this in Simeon's oracle. With this consummation comes not end but beginning. Simeon and Anna bore witness to the wheels of God's plan set in motion. And it was enough. It was enough that they saw that God was fulfilling what God had set out to do. But imagine, it's unlikely that either lived to see the fruition. After all, Jesus was just a baby. And the fruition of God's plan would not come to pass until at least 30, 33 years later. When Jesus would unselfishly go to the cross on our behalf, and God would raise him from the dead on the third day. They were content with the kept promise made to them by God, and they trusted God with the rest. They trusted God with us, where the future, the far future. To be honest, our waiting time is always a time of marking memory. It's a time for us to slow down our lives and feel and remember and listen. Because never again in our, in our lifetime and in the lifetime of the world, never again will we be waiting to see what God will do. When you ask yourself that question, I want you to remind yourself that God has done what God will do in sending the Christ Never again will we be waiting for God to send a deliverer. God has sent the ultimate deliverer. This is who has delivered us. Never again will we wonder what the world will look like when God comes in the flesh. God has come ultimately. God's plan is in motion. There is no other plan. Never again will we be waiting for God's plan for the salvation of the world to be revealed because that has been revealed to us. Because we know and we have seen the Holy Spirit dwells within us and interprets for us, prays through us, convicts us, reminds us, and comforts us. I can almost hear that haunting melody that we sang. We sang, we are waiting as a way of conjuring up our memory of what God has done. I wonder if God is singing, I am waiting, I am waiting to see how you will handle what I have given you, to see what you will do with the truth, to see how you will be the body of Christ, the mind of God here on earth. As God's stewards in Christ's body, we are given every good and worthy thing we could possibly need. To live and share God's kingdom as a generous and gracious, compassionate and loving community. We have everything we need in our own personal lives so that we can come and contribute to that compassion. 
And what that means is that not only do we have to look at ourselves reflectively as a collective group, as a community of what do we do together, but we have to constantly be nurturing that spirit that dwells within each of us. How are you nurturing your spirit? How are you growing in Christ? No matter how far along you are, I can guarantee you this, there is more, more, more to Christ. There is more for you to know. There is more for you to understand. There is a deeper place for you to be in Christ. We are here to share God's kingdom. Because in in essence, we are all Simeons and we are all Annas. The baby has literally been placed into our arms. All prophecies fulfilled and every promise has been kept. God has given us the vision and the specs and the resources. We are given the spirit and mind of Christ if we so choose to surrender to them and to follow them and to listen for them. But with what is given comes as it did for Jesus and all those who have come since then. The responsibility to live and love into the world, the mission that God sent Christ to establish. So do we understand that Christ came to settle and bring God's kingdom into fruition? That the mission of Christ And the desires of God is what we carry now on our shoulders as the body of Christ. What does God finally want? God wants the world to finally know love, the entire world. Finally live into the joy of being fully human with potential realized. God wants us to take care of each other as though our friends and enemies alike were babies resting in our arms and depending on us for nourishment and protection. God wants us to know and enjoy God and all that such a mystery might entail forever. All of those things seem seem so wonderful. That expectation of God for us to seek wonder, to seek joy, to seek peace, to seek oneness with each other, with creation, and with God's self. And the coming of the Savior is indeed the good news to celebrate, and it's the doorway through which we walk with the good news. So you see, we pack the house on Christmas Eve, Everybody wants to hear the good news. Everybody wants to hear the good news all the time. And yet, they're waiting to hear it, not inside, but outside now. Some will turn away from the gracious gift. And in Simeon, as Simeon says, they'll fall. Even Jesus' family, including his mother, will have their trust and obedience put to the test as the image of a soul-piercing sword indicates. The story and the people in the story suggests that the consummation, which is also a beginning as a sacred task, 
and unrelenting hope that God has and that God is even now completing. But not completing in and for only the celebrities, the ranking officials, or the rich. But in the story itself, we see that God is completing God's work in and for carpenters, in and for old people who pray even when the hope has gone out of their prayers, in and for working men and women, in and for those barely hanging on, and for everyone caught up in the drama of life, that God is completing God's work in each of them, in each of us. And we can endure because God comes to us in grace and peace. And we remember that this good news includes God coming to us and walking among us. God coming to us and being within arm's length with a real shoulder to cry on. God comes to us with arms open wide and an invitation steeped in mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And what concerns me, to be honest with you, what lies in my heart at this time of year is shaped by the, what the poet Anne Weems calls the birthing that is not yet over. Because we know, each of us, that there are always newer skies into which God can throw stars. When we begin to think that we can predict the advent of God, that we can box the Christ in a stable in Bethlehem and then package it and put it away for next year. That's just the time. That's just the moment that God will be born in a place we can't imagine and we can't believe. Those who wait for God watch with their hearts and not their eyes. Those who wait for God are listening, always listening for the angel's greetings. Do not be afraid. Thanks be to God.